This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Justin Hartwig, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland, with me as always. One of my partners in crime here who's very upset today because, you know, he's just hearing this week about the news that Valentino Blake will definitely not be back next year. I know it's hurting him, and that's my buddy Matt Necrone. How you doing, Matt? Just got off the party bus. Uh, fuck you, Blake. Have fun in New York. Giants, I'm sorry. He's your problem now. <laughs> oh, you can, you can just hear how upset that you are after hearing yeah. the news, man. Um, and then also with me, Glenn, the chicken farmer, Lotzenheiser. How you doing, Glenn? Perspective chicken farmer. Let's be <laughs> accurate. But, you know, the Blake signing, that makes all the Cowboys fans and Washington Redskins fans, they're all very happy right now. They're having parties because they've got an extra you know, point or two coming on special teams. And you could always count on him to uh, be looking and pointing the wrong way. Maybe he'll confuse the officials and get them some extra yards. And it's, you know, the additions that the Giants made on, uh, on offense and then with the two great wide receivers, I'm sure they're going to look even better in practice than they would already. <laughs> but uh, we're going to jump right into the mailbag here. Before we do, I uh, just want to let everyone know we're still continuing our college football profiles. This week we're doing Michigan, sitting down with a uh, big-time Michigan fan in front of the show, Peter Diapolis. So that'll be the second half of the show, and as always, we're going to start off with the mailbag and the news for this week. So in the mailbag, guys, first one from Josh Pryor. He says, list the two bigger-name players currently on our roster that will not make our day one final roster? Uh, I don't know about big names. First ones that come to mind on offense, I'll go ahead and say, I mean, he's really not a big name, but Harry Douglas more than likely will not be on our roster come starting day. Defense, I think Denore Cersei is probably probably the guy I'll say. I don't think we're going to have Rashad Johnson either, but I think Cersei, who is still under contract, I don't think he makes it to opening day. Yeah, Johnson was the guy I was going to point to as far as you know safety not coming back. Uh, he, he proved down the stretch that he just didn't have anything left for us. Uh, so I don't see him coming back. And on offense, you know, I would have said Supernaw, but they, they signed him back because Fasano left. So I'll go with Douglas too. I don't know if he's under – he's a free agent right now though, but I don't see him coming back. Antonio Andrews probably won't be back. There's no big name starting guy that's not coming back next year unless they've already left. Do you see anybody? This is what I was trying to think with Denora Cersei. Do you see anybody under contract that performance wise gets cut? I think that's more or less the question that he's asking. Yeah, I can't see them getting rid of uh, Cersei unless they draft a safety. Um, with the signing and then also Bayard, I just I don't see them necessarily cutting Cersei because he can be a backup and play okay. 
But you know, Cyprian and Bayard are probably our starters next year, unless we draft you know someone really high at safety, which after the Cyprian signing is probably less likely. Uh, we're more likely to take somebody a little bit later on and put them behind Bayard. Because, I mean, if you draft uh, Hooker or Adams, who, who, who are you going to start? I mean, you, you're not going to put three safeties out there, so probably Bayard sits down for a little while and Cyprian plays your strong safety role. You guys hit all the names that, that I was going to bring up. I will say this. If, if we go ahead and draft a, a tight end early, um, and then we might get one, you know, a, undrafted free agent then and get rid of super and all that way you would have your set back up uh will it be like a, a jake butt who i know we'll talk about later and um or you know an oj howard even earlier if we gotta go like that then i just don't feel like it's smart for us to keep around the uh the amount of money we're gonna have to pay super and all when he's just gonna be like a third option anyway and i know we always like to keep tight ends around but if we had two Really good tight ends like that. A young one, obviously, and Delaney Walker being the other one, I think, Supernaut could hit the door. But, yeah, I mean, you guys hit every name that I was going to bring up on that one. But uh, moving on here to Jay Russell. As we get closer to the draft, is there anyone on your boards that are making late moves up or down uh, that you think Titans could be interested in? Yeah, um... One one place I don't know where he'll fall. I believe it'll be closer to five than eighteen. But Mike Williams, man, um, that forty he ran solidified my endorsement on Mike Williams for the number five overall pick. Um, I would I would prefer to trade back to nine or ten somewhere in that area. Uh, and, and if we were able to get him there, that would be great. Hopefully get a second-round pick along with it. I would be happy uh, as can be. So, I mean, even happier than than, uh, Valentino Blake going to the Giants. So, I I think Mike Williams, though, you know, with with him, I'm ready to take him at five. But I think that, you know, all over the board, he's projected to go anywhere from five to 30. So, I mean, I'm really not sure where we'll take him if we take him. But um, I'd love to grab him at 18. Yeah, Mike Williams, that 40 time, like you said, he, he moved up my board a little bit. Um, I wasn't sure about him in the top 10 until I saw you know, him at least put out a 4-5. Uh, if he'd run a 4-6, he drops to the bottom half of the first round, top half of the second. He's not going to run a 4-4, four, four, you know, 8, 4-4, four, four, 9 with pads on every play. That's just not who he is. He's not a speedster guy. But he showed he's got that kind of movement in him to go with having – you know, strong hands, huge catch radius, great body control. He moved all the way up to, I want this guy. Um, I wasn't sure about him as my number one wide receiver in this draft until I saw that he had the, had the speed, too. Um, I knew he had all the other talents, but I didn't know if he had the speed or not. I still think that uh, Davis is a better route runner than Mike Williams, but Mike Williams has everything else you could possibly want. O.J. Howard, since the Combine, I don't know that he's going to be there at 18 anymore. Um, I think he probably is like a top 15 guy. Uh, so he's he's moved up. And the guy we're going to talk about tonight, uh, Taco Charlatan. He, initially, he was a uh, second rounder, and he's just been slowly working his way up. I, I've seen projections of him in the top 10. I don't know that that'll happen, but I keep seeing it. Uh, so he's obviously moved up too. Um, I don't know that he's a guy that we want on this squad. He, he's, he's a guy that I've seen moving. Derek Barnett, defensive end, he was moving down for me. 
Uh, but he looked, I've been watching him a lot lately, and he looked good at his pro day, and it moved a little bit back up for me. But I think where he's in a good spot where we could possibly take him if that's where we ended up wanting to go. I know, obviously, not the most pressing need, but he is a talented kid. You know, it, it could be something at 18 that we look at, or possibly even if we traded back into the early first, or early second round. Here's a big window for him, but he's a talented player, a talented kid. It's going to depend on where a lot of the scouts have him. And as you know, we know there's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. So a lot of these guys that are very talented, you know, normally second, early second, um, late first, are going to be mid second, late for late second, early third kind of guys, just because of how much defensive talent there is in this draft. So, you know, that's where I have a lot of these guys. I think there's a lot of value in the second and third round of defenses um, positions. Uh, last question we have in the short mailbag segment we're doing this week. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet or not. Sonny Ali asks, how did you feel about J-Rob's choir boy comment? Uh, and just if you don't know, he was asked about some of these players that have um, red flags and his quote was, we're not looking for a bunch of choir boys, but we are looking for guys that can play football and act like mature adults. Uh, how did you feel about what he had to say on getting some of these more red flag, high risk guys? The red flags, it depends on what that red flag is, really. A, a guy like Foster, I think, is possibly who that was targeted at. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember what the situation was where he gave that quote, but I did mention that, um, is... Someone like Reuben Foster, someone who's got an attitude, someone who's out there just trying to kill people every play, but is still a very good wrap-up tackler. Um, guys like that, you know, who then had the issue at the combine, that's not the kind of red flag that's going to make John Robinson pull off. Um, you don't have to be a choir boy. He doesn't want choir boys. He wants guys to come out there with some attitude. We, we saw it last year. This is a smash-mouth team. This is a bully team. Uh, when we were getting ready to play the Broncos, they were talking about we're not going to be bullied by them, and they were. But, you know, it tells you what the perception around the league is, is that the Titans are coming out, they're going to be physical, they're going to knock the crap out of you. And, you know, you got guys like, you know, Luan, who are just, they're on the edge. They're, they play with a little too much enthusiasm sometimes. And I think that's what we're looking for, is guys that are going to come out there and they're going to set a tone, and just because... This isn't a guy that's the ideal citizen. As long as his red flags aren't something that's going to get him suspended or put a bad look on the team, the Titans aren't going to knock you off for that. If you can still play football and you can stay eligible to play football, you can get drafted. Yeah, that's a great point with Reuben Foster. I hadn't really considered that. But, you know, he, he's a real realistic consideration at, at number five. Um, I think that he definitely has the talent to uh, get drafted at number five, but, you know, the character issue is a slight concern. You know, we just missed out on Hightower. Apparently we weren't too interested in, in him, according to, to Robinson himself. But, you know, if we did go that route and took the inside linebacker at number five, he's got top five talent. And, you know, I, I'm not sure. There's so many different ways we could go. But I think, you know, like Glenn just said, we're, Robinson is, is – uh, Exploring all options, and I don't think you know a little hiccup at the at the combine is going to you know d deter him from taking him num number five overall. Yeah, and Foster's a guy I would rather have than Hightower. I like Hightower a lot, I really do. But you know, Foster, he I don't 
I, I'm on record as saying I, I'm not the biggest fan of his coverage skills, but he can. He's got enough speed and enough recovery quickness. He can get better at coverage, but he definitely has that attitude. When he's on the field, running backs are going to know about it. Tight ends coming over the middle are going to know about it. If that quarterback scrambles, you better bet your ass he's going to slide before he takes that shot because Foster's coming to kill you. You know, so that's the kind of attitude that we want on our defense. Wesley Woodyard talks about being, the, you know, the, the Woodman. He's coming to, you know, chop you down, but he doesn't hit that hard. Foster's the real deal on that end. I agree with that. And, you know, speaking of guys that are starting to move their way back up my draft board, um, Ruben Foster's definitely one I didn't think to talk about. But, you know, the incident definitely pushed him back a little, and I think now it's, you know, we saw the apology, which is what everybody wanted. Now you're seeing him. Um, climb back up. I liked what John Robinson had to say about it because you know he said that we don't want idiots. We want guys that are, are going to be on the field that aren't going to impede our chances of having a successful football team. But you know, again, like he said, we're not looking for choir boys. You know, we're, you're looking for good football players that have that you know na- nastiness to them, that edge to them. Uh, hopefully, you know more on the field than off the field. But there, you know, there's been plenty of guys that have made fantastic football players that have that nastiness on and off the field. There's a lot of guys in this draft that that have some red flags to them, as there is every year, of course. But uh, I think that a lot of these guys with the bigger red flags, you're not going to see us take. But the the smaller ones, that you know, I still think the talent's going to weigh out, and I think it does with the vast majority of teams in the NFL. The talent's going to weigh outweigh off-the-field issues, uh, and that's obviously something that's basically what John Robinson and uh, Mike Malarkey said almost the exact same thing, that it's a case-by-case basis, uh, but we're looking for football players. We're looking for guys that have that, you know, that nastiness inside of them, that that ability to hit that other level mentally, you know, and come out with a, a different level of physicality. We're not We're not looking for guys that are the nicest guys in the world. That's all we have for the mailbag, though. You can get to the mailbag each and every week by going to our Facebook page at Two Tone Podcast, or you can just search, search uh, Two Tone Uncensored. You can also find it on the Tennessee Titans Uncensored uh, Facebook page. If you're not already on it, you definitely should be. Uh, it's a, the best fan group page on Facebook, so definitely check it out. Let's head into the news here. The first big piece of news, and you know, a guy that you just mentioned, Glenn, we re-signed. Wesley Woodyard on a two-year extension now going to have him through the 2019 season. What do you guys think about this resigning? First thought, I was thinking, you know, what the hell are we doing? But after looking at it, uh, he's actually taking a pay cut in the short term. And at the end of the day, it's it's a smart deal by, by John Robinson, another smart deal. Um, if Woodyard – Ends up making that extension, you know, good for him. That means he earned it, but I don't see him getting to that point. I'm still a little bitter about his play last year in that in that game towards the end of the year in the in the Jacksonville game. You know, obviously that still hurts. But overall, I mean, he's a solid guy. He's not he he's one of those guys. He's got a high floor, low ceiling, and you kind of know what you're going to get with Wesley Woodyard. But um, I do think that you know, short term, it was a good deal. I think that. Another financial smart move by John Robinson, and I think really that's all it was. Yeah, it was, it was the right thing to do. You had to bring him back because you didn't have a big-name free agent coming in. No matter 
what we think about who they might take in the draft. You know, I, I keep saying that it, with John Robinson, free agency looks to me like we're just setting up so we have options come draft day. If they had let Woodyard go and Williamson was now our only middle linebacker you know, that was worth putting on the field, now you have to draft a middle linebacker. If we bring Woodyard back, at least you have two guys that you know you can put out there because you've seen what they did last year. Uh, if you didn't sign Hightower and you didn't bring Woodyard back, everybody knows and you don't really have any options. You're going to have to draft a middle linebacker and start him as a rookie this year. You're not going to have the, uh, the, the options. I think you had to bring Woodyard back. He's never been my favorite linebacker. I wasn't high on him when they signed him in the first place. But at the same time, he does an okay job. He makes tackles. He's not a big hitter. He's not a big interception guy. He makes mistakes in uh, pass coverage. But he, he's a serviceable middle linebacker. And, you know, I'm glad they brought him back. Even if we draft Reuben Foster or Zach Cunningham, we still need somebody like Wesley Woodyard to be out there and give us depth at that middle linebacker position. Uh, so it was it was the smart and right thing to do. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Glenn, you put it well. Um, we don't have to go get on the middle linebacker now or an inside linebacker. Um, you know, we don't, it's not necessarily something that we are going to be forced to do. And we are going to have good depth. Even if we don't go get a guy, we have good depth and we have veteran depth, um, you know, throughout the entire season. As if we do take a guy early, like a Reuben Foster, he'll have time to, to settle in and, and we'll have some depth behind him. Uh, which is always a great thing to have, you know, obviously. So, yeah, I, I like this resigning a lot. Um, and, I, and I think it was a good move, obviously, by John Robinson to get him for a little cheaper as well, as Matt was saying earlier. Uh, we also lost some guys this week since the last time we've been on, guys. There's um, been some guys leaving that we cut earlier, and then uh, we thought they might possibly be back. Guys that we were talking about, especially... Uh, Al Woods, Sean Spence, two guys that are going to now be in Indianapolis. So we're going to get to see them twice this year. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of guys leaving. As we talked about, Blake earlier uh, left to be with the Giants. There's been a handful of guys that left. Is there anybody, though, in this list that you're upset that, you know, is not going to be returning? Uh, you wish you would have seen them back as a Titan. No, but to add to your list of newly acquired Colts, Brian Schwenke is also in that group. Um, don't care about any of the guys we lost. Uh, the only guy that we had pending that I wanted back was Carl Klug, and, and we got him back. I think uh, Antonio Andrews is probably gone. I wish him well wherever he goes. He's he's never uh, never done me wrong. He's always played hard. I wouldn't mind having him back, but I don't see it happening, and I would probably rather just dra- draft a, uh, a late-round late running back to replace him. Yeah, and Andrews, to me, I like him more as a special teams player than I do as a running back because he knocks the shit out of people playing special teams. I mean, he had some brutal tackles, <laughs> and you know that was pretty much the extent of my interest in Antonio Andrews. Uh, Spence, honestly, other than – a couple of really nice big hits. He adds nothing towards the middle of the field as a linebacker because he can't cover anybody. Usually those big hits come because he gave up a wide open pass and then he ran in there and hit somebody. So Spence going to the Colts. Awesome. One blessed guy. They got to try to cover, you know, Delaney Walker, uh, Al Woods. Like, like I've said before, I'd much rather have Johnson out there than Al 
and we'll see what happens with Al. But he's he's at the end of his career anyway. So as long as he can get a contract and keep playing, you know, no more power to the big man. Uh, hey, speaking of Al, you know Al's replacement was uh, Sylvester uh, Williams. And one thing we should talk about before we get off here is his contract signing, which I thought was a little pricey. Um, three years for $17.5 million. What do you guys think about that? For who he is, I think they overpaid. But he, he's he's okay. We'll see. He, he hasn't had a chance to really show what he's worth in Denver. So he's going he's gonna to come here. He's going to get probably a lot more reps. We'll see what happens with him. Maybe you know, with him coming in, Johnson moves over to defensive end. I would rather if we were going to bring in a free agent uh, nose tackle, it wasn't going to be somebody like you know Poe or um, Williams or somebody like that. Uh, Jonathan Hankins is a free agent. I would have liked to look at him. Uh, he's not great, but he he can play you know at least two downs, if not three. I think he would have been a better signing. Um, for me, Al Woods was the only guy that that we didn't have return that I would have liked to have back, but it's not, I'm not upset by it. You know, he, he's a talented football player, but Glenn said it, he's at the end of his career. I'm just, I'm not a hundred percent sold right now on, uh, Austin Johnson. And that's why, you know, Glenn feels more comfortable about Austin Johnson than I do. That's why me and him have different opinions on it, but I, I'm not, it's not something that I feel like we really messed up. I definitely feel like we could, like, I, I could definitely change my tune in, like, you know, five, six months we start seeing Johnson on the field more. Uh, I, you know, I, I hope that it is something I'm changing my tune about and that's something I'm wrong about. But I would like to see him stick around just a little bit longer and, and have that extra depth uh, on the defensive line. But definitely a position that's that we have a lot of talent at. All the other ones, though, I agree with you guys. I mean, I, I don't care. I couldn't care any less that they left. Valentino Blake, I, as soon as I heard that he was signed, like, uh, you know, I cracked a beer open, and I think I texted you, messaged you guys. I was just excited to have him see him, like, officially 100% for sure not a Tennessee Titan next year. Uh was definitely awesome. Uh, but yeah, the, I love that he's on another team. Yeah. Uh, I was really hoping that he'd end up in our division <laughs> just because we would get the benefit from him being on another team. But it's yeah, still if nice. he'd gone to the Colts, too, we'd have a better shot at them next year. Right, exactly. Uh, I was hoping he was a Jag just because the Jags always do the dumb <laughs> free agent signings every year. Uh, they, like... they, they, they sign the expensive guys that don't produce. You know, he, he didn't end up in the division because they saw what he was for us. That's why he had to go somewhere outside of the conference to uh, land land a spot. <laughs> he had to go play somewhere where they had no tape on us because they didn't care. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, Of the guys you guys were talking about, though, Swanky is actually a guy that I'm not a fan of his in general. I don't think he can stay healthy. However, as a backup lineman, he, he was serviceable. I don't care that he left. I love that he went to the Colts because I think he's going to you know, give them nothing. Yeah, so that, that's awesome. Spend some more money on a lineman who can't do you any good. But you know, he, he was a guy that I was kind of on the fence about just because he was serviceable in spot duty. So, yeah. For me, uh, the reason, just real quick, the reason I, I didn't add him and I'm not that upset that we don't have him is because of the injuries. He, he was definitely a serviceable backup offensive lineman you know but the injuries not being able to stay on the field is what for me I'm, I'm like okay just not having him because it's if you can't play on the field then like why like why keep the guy if he's never you're not adding anything if you're just sitting on the bench so 
I was I was okay with seeing him go just because he can never seem to stay healthy. Yeah, and that's my biggest issue. That and he, he gave he's really susceptible to the bull rush as a uh, backup guard. He's better running the ball than he is uh, pass protecting. He's just not a very good pass protector, never has been. We're going to head into a quick commercial break here. When we come back, as promised earlier, Peter Darapala going to lead us through this Michigan Wolverine draft class and all that it has to offer. Uh, you know, definitely some possible Tennessee Titans in the future uh, coming out of this draft class, so definitely one to pay attention to. We'll be right back after this break. Pete! Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show, and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk with crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. Hey guys, you've heard us talk about Hang 10 Apparel before on the show, and if you haven't checked them out, then you're truly missing out. Hang 10 is the one place to find unique Titans gear that you will not find anywhere else. Whether it's a Maragoda hoodie, a Mahalo Etcha Boy t-shirt, or Mike Keith's Music City Miracle Call on a sweater. There are no flags on the field! It's a miracle! The only place to find it is Hang 10. Just go to hangtn.com to find all this great gear. And while you're there, don't forget to use our promo code 2TONE to get 10% off any purchase. That's hangtn.com, the official Titan shop of 2TONE Uncensored. Tighten up. You're listening to 2TONE Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. you listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, we're back from that quick commercial break. As promised, now we're going to head into the next of our college football profiles. We're getting in-depth in these prospect classes that are coming out of the big powerhouses of college football. And the next one on our list is the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, obviously a complete change in this program with the head coaching change, and now they're putting out a lot of impressive talent, especially this year, one of the best, if not the best, um, prospect classes uh, coming out of college football this year. Talented from top to bottom. And to cover it with us is uh, Michigan super fan, good friend of the show, Peter Diapolo. How you doing, Pete? Good awesome, Ryan. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Happy to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. All right, let's jump right into it here. We're, we're going to start by talking about Taco Charlton here. Defensive end, and the kid does have all the measurables. If you look, you know, he's great length, the, the height, the frame. Uh, it's all there. The speed's there for his size. Uh, but he wasn't really as productive as you'd expect from a defensive end rated as high as he is. 
Now, do you believe that the scouts are getting carried, carried away with him fitting the prototype frame and not looking enough at the player? Or do you think that he'll grow into that grade and he can become the player that these scouts think he can be? I think he's going to go into the grade. And the reason why I say that is when you look at his scouting report um, from the NFL draft website, there's, on the overview, it talks about how he's grown since he's been in Michigan. He as a freshman, mostly with special teams is what it says, just two tackles. Uh, his playing time increased in 2014. He had one start, but he had three and a half sacks. Then he started three games as a junior, went up to five and a half sacks. And then his last year in Michigan, he, uh, he led the team with nine and a half sacks and 13 tackles for loss. So you see a guy that's grown ever since he's been in Michigan. And I think that's important when you look at a guy who says, I think one of the big, the biggest issues that I've always had with the combine is they look at a guy's size. You know, he's six foot six, two hundred and seventy seven pounds. But you also have to look at his numbers, and I think his numbers justify why the scouts are high on him and why he has a six six point five grade. I think he's third ranked third rank among um, defensive linemen, if I'm not mistaken, on NFL's website as far as rankings go. So I think it makes sense. You know, he's got the size, he's got the. Uh, you know, aside from the fact he's got the athletic traits, I just think what scares some people when you look at his weaknesses was his sort of inconsistency in college. But I think improving every year kind of – it can kind of give you a pass on inconsistency because he's at least showing consistently that he can play well and continue to improve as the years go along. And especially going into the NFL, you don't want a guy that's just finished going in college. You want a guy that's improved every year, and then when he makes the NFL, you can still work with him and make him make him a better player. All right, Pete. Many have compared Taco Charlton to Chandler Jones coming out so far. I've seen a lot of people have that as his NFL comparison. Do you feel like that's an accurate portrayal? Chandler Jones, well, I think if you're talking about the athletic ability and size, yes. Uh, when you look at Chandler Jones and being a Patriots fan, most uh, being familiar with him from his time in England was that he was coming, you know, obviously as a, as a pass rusher, he was just a rare uh, freak of nature pretty much when you looked at the size, his speed, and what he was able to do. So I think when you compare their their sizes and their abilities, then yes. But the one thing that I hope that he will not be like Chandler Jones is that when Chandler Jones was in England, he would play really well the first six to ten games, and then he would sort of taper off. And that was a problem for the Patriots, and obviously, which is why I think they traded him to Arizona. Was he was going to ask for a lot of money for a guy that just didn't show up in the second half of the season. So I'm hoping that that's not the case. And obviously, there's a bit of concern because when you look at his weaknesses, Taco, Taco's weaknesses on his draft report is a little bit of inconsistency. So I'm hoping that's not the, not the case. But I think. Overall, when you look at it from a, in a vacuum of athletic ability and size, then yes, I think it's a big comparison. Yeah, the the problem that Chandler always has is it seems to be a question of conditioning and just personal intensity and professionalism. So like you said, that's why he got got himself traded. And as long as you know Taco can take that seriously, then he can avoid that. But it, it's all about inconsistency with him and you know weight room work and does he love to do the work? to be a professional at this point, I think is going to be the question. So uh, his draft status is going to depend on, you know, I, th- I still think he's a first round player, but where he goes is going to depend on convincing a team that he's going to come in there. He's going to put in the time off the field to be that guy too. 
Yeah, I think that's. I think you're right there. And, and what I think is going to happen, speaking of draft status, is while I think he has first round talent, I think the questions about his inconsistency are going to scare some teams off. And also the comparison to Chandler Jones, because if teams look at what happened with Chandler Jones in New England, that they're if they're looking at why he was traded, they're going to look at Taco and say, okay, this is your comparison. How do we know he's not going to be that way? So I think you're going to have a teams are looking at him in the first round. You're, they're going to interview him. I think pretty intensely, and I think he's a guy that could fall to the bottom of the first round, if not the top of the second round, only because of the concerns. And when I was thinking of teams that could use him, and and there's a few I could throw out, I think the Green Bay Packers could use a pass rush, maybe somebody that that he can go to. And the Saints are picking at the bottom of the first round still, unless that pick goes back to New England, if New England does give them Malcolm Butler for a trade. I think that's another team you could see him going to is the Saints because their defense was terrible again last year, and they need a pass rusher. And if he's there at the bottom of that round, why not go and get him? Uh, maybe even the Steelers could use him at number 30. That's another possibility. So I think he's a late first-round pick, early second-round pick uh, in my estimation. Uh, well, what do you guys think? I mean, do you agree with me there? Who do you think he might go to? I think that's a pretty good range right there. You know, the Packers, the Saints, somebody who really needs some defensive help. Uh, he, he's a guy that can help for sure. It's just, will he help all season? Will he help every play? But yeah, I, that bottom half of the first round, top half of the second, you know, someone who needs defensive line help. Is he a guy, Pete, that you would take on the, on the Patriots personally, if they had a first round pick? Yeah, definitely. Because Bill Belichick, if he took him, then I would trust him. Because this is the same guy that took Dominic Easley at the bottom, near the bottom of the first round a few years ago, and when he was healthy and actually playing, which was rare and far in between, he looked good. So I think if you could take a guy like Taco, put him in an environment where they where they are winning all the time, and they have lots of veteran players that can push him, I think it's a good environment for him because it's a way he can grow up. They're not going to ask him to do too much off the bat, and if he can grow, and if, if Bill's going to make him work for his play, I think he's going to say, you need to work out and really, really want to play this game, and you'll see more snaps. And I think that's a perfect environment for a guy like Taco. Coming from a Harbaugh environment where we saw Harbaugh in San Francisco, if you did your job, you would play. If you, if you weren't that good, you'd be on the bench. So I think you kind of have almost the same sort of culture in Michigan going to the NFL in New England where – you have a coach that expects you to be the best of your game all the time. Yeah, I think with Taco, he he's definitely the most intrigued. Well, one of the most intriguing in in the first round, only because you know you hear these analysts talk, and I've heard very different, you know, wide range of opinions on him. Whether you know some say he could be in the the top fifteen, others say you know he's he's the back end towards twenty five or thirty, but. You know, I'm I'm unsure on him personally. I don't know much about him personality-wise, where he'll fit in on on different NFL teams, different locker rooms, and and what have you. But uh, it's definitely intriguing, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Uh, last thing, real here, quick on uh, Taco Charlton, Pete. There's a lot of really good defensive ends at the top of this draft, um, and you know, Tacos has himself, you know, a couple spots back, obviously. Could you see, well, first off, a two-part question here. Where do you think he ranks among those defensive ends, personally? And then, next, could you see a situation where, if defensive ends go in a run early, uh, could you see, uh, you know, a team starting to, like, pick up on that run and taking Taco off the board, 
maybe halfway through the first round or even earlier than that? Well, I think he probably ranks in the top 10 because I've looked at some mock drafts just to kind of see where people have him uh, going or rather what players he's going behind. You have Miles Garrett, Solomon Thomas, Jonathan Allen going all in the top five, I believe. Then you have Derek Barnett. That's another defensive end there. And then you have Charles Charles Harris, another one. And then Harris McKinley, I don't know how to say this first name, and then Hayson Rhetoric. So th- these are guys that are projected to go ahead of him in the draft. So if they're going to be picking defensive ends up a lot to start off the draft, uh, Ryan, I, I could see him even going in the top probably 18. To, uh, Washington could probably use another defensive end, even though, uh, you know, some people might disagree. They might want to go with linebacker there. But that's a team I could see him going to. With the, the Baltimore Ravens are known for their defense. That's another team that they that he can end up landing on if, if teams are picking up at the defensive end and getting taken off the board early. They might want to jump the jump the gun and take one there because I think right now we'll probably talk about the Lakers that this is a defensive back heavy draft. So if you want a really good defensive end or even a guy like him, you can take a risk on him in the first half of the first round and then take a defensive back if that's one of your other needs in the second or third round and just see how it works out because I think either way you win in that situation. Yeah, and a lot of it will come down to where these teams have a lot of these players ranked. Um, you know, it's definitely going to be interesting to see, but we all know that Taco and his family and his agent will all be hoping those top three get taken off the board very early because it'll improve his chances of moving up, making a little bit more money. Uh, but you you spoke a little bit on these defensive backs, and the next guys, I mean, just a defensive talent, but he's one of those guys that you don't really know where he's going to play, and that's Jabril Preppers. Uh, he's been labeled as, you know, this defensive Swiss Army knife, which is fair to say uh, from what you've seen at him at Michigan. He's played all over the field wherever they needed him to. Uh, in the combine, he worked out with uh, the linebackers and the defensive backs. Uh, many have have been worried about him, about he's kind of this, like, square peg trying to fit in a round hole. What position do you see him playing uh, at the NFL level, and what kind of defense do you think he best fits in? I think he probably bets that more of a 3-4 where he can kind of blend in with other linebackers if they're going to deploy four linebackers in the defense. Because if you have three really solid ones or even just two that are solid, he can kind of just blend in back there and, and they can utilize him possibly as a linebacker. But my concern with him is, and we were talking about this before the show, is you look at his size. He's, at, he's 5'11", 213 pounds. When you think of a guy like that size, you might think, okay, like a heavier cornerback or a lighter safety. But as a linebacker, that's, that's a little scary for me. Uh, but I think, truthfully, if I had to pick a position he'd play, I think he's more of a hybrid safety linebacker who can kind of play corner. But like you said, Ryan, he's, he's like the Swiss Army knife of a defense. But what is he really going to do in the NFL? And I think that's something we really don't know. But if, if I had to pick, it'd be sort of a hybrid safety linebacker where Maybe Bill Belichick could use him. And I even think the Tennessee Titans, because of their defensive scheme and who, they, who the defensive coordinator is, he's a guy that could go down there and and learn the system, and they could sort of deploy him in different parts of the field, either as a pass rusher, somebody that's going to drop back in coverage, or be sort of like a third safety help over the top in a deep passing situation. Uh, and 
you know, obviously I think his weakness is what I've read on, and I agree that he has one interception and 10, to fast, 10 passes defended in Michigan. Uh, and also says slow to recognize con- uh, constructive a play and can be found playing through a, a straw time. So I think because of what he can do in the return game and offense, people, including myself, looked at him like, wow, this guy's a great talent. But then when I really sit back and think about it, is he going to get eaten up in the NFL linebacker? And he could, but then he could get exposed at safety. So I think you kind of have to make him a hybrid player and utilize his strengths. And he might be a situational guy if he doesn't really work out coming out of the draft where he might take him and say, okay, we're going to use you, use you in these situations, but also in the return game where he's really good. I think that's going to help his draft, his draft uh, status will be his return game. If a team can use him on defense and their return game and develop him over time, then I think that he'll be okay. But I, I do have a lot of concerns about him coming out of this draft. I think he's the second best defensive player coming out of Michigan in this draft, maybe even the third best behind cornerback uh, Jordan Lewis. One of the biggest knocks on Peppers so far is that lack of ball skills that you talked about. You know, the, you even said yourself the 10 pass breaks up the one interception. Well, how big of a concern do you see this for NFL teams? And do you think this is something that's going to limit his ability to play at, you know, the safety position and forces him kind of try to come up as a linebacker, even though he's a little undersized for that? I think it's going to concern them because, well, See, the thing is, I think it's going to concern them at safety. Obviously, we talked about the one interception, 10 passes defended. Clearly, that's not great for somebody trying to come out and play safety. And I think it's going to concern some teams. And also, the, I think maybe even the size. So what, they're going to probably, what they might want to do is bring him in and ask him to bulk up in the weight room, maybe gain 20 pounds to be more of a linebacker size, like 230, about what I think might be good at his stature, 5'11" or maybe even just 10 or 15 more pounds, and that's going to be a linebacker. But they might, if he goes in the bottom of the first round, top of the second round, he might be a guy that plays sparingly his first year and a half, and they can kind of implement him in, in their defense. But it's kind of hard to figure out where he's going to go in the draft. So, you know, that, I, guess, I guess I am concerned about his draft status as a safety because, as you said, Ryan, his ball skills aren't that great when it comes to defending the pass. I think he gets a little lost sometimes. Pete, how far do you think he could slip in the draft? Because we all see about the, the mid to late first round or even the second round, but could you see him actually going to the third? I think he could possibly go to the third, yeah. I think it's really going to depend on where scouts see him playing defense. And if he goes into the third round, I think he'd be right at the top of the third round. I, I could see him slipping that far, but truthfully, I think he's more of a mid-round second pick. There might even be a team at the top of the second round that takes him but truthfully, when I think about it, this is a guy that could slip in the third round, and we could see him not being invited to the NFL draft because if he is, that's a long time for him to sit around and uh, and, and wait. But I do have concerns, and because of what Ryan said about concerns at safety, maybe not being big enough to be a linebacker, yeah, he can do a lot of things, but do you want to take him in the first two rounds? Maybe wait till the third round where you can wait and, and develop him with time because you're not going to have to throw him. If you take him in the second round, you might be inclined to throw him into the mix right away, which will hurt him in the long run and hurt your team because then you wasted a second-round pick on a guy, and then you threw him to the fire. Pete, we just talked about how late he could possibly go. Um, you know, a lot of the early Mac mock drafts had Peppers as a top-ten player coming off the board, and he's slipped on a lot of people's. But what do you think right now, 
his his um, peak is, like, the highest do you think he could possibly come off the board? I think the highest, and, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the show, but I can see him actually going to the Titans with their second first-round first, first round pick, and here's why, at 18, because I know that they have other needs, but with Nick LeBeau taking over as now as their defensive coordinator, Nick LeBeau has a history of, of being one of the better defensive coordinators in the NFL. And they can take him there at 18, and they can just develop him over a year, maybe a year and a half, let him play special teams, maybe situational football. That's the highest I can see him going with 18. I, I can't see him going above 18. Uh, if, if the Colts had Ryan Grigson, I could see him going at 15 because Ryan Grigson was a terrible general manager. Uh, that's the highest I can see him going. The lowest I see him going is probably the first three to four picks in the third round. But I think he'll go somewhere between 18 as the highest of the Titans and somewhere in the tops of the second round, possibly maybe to the Browns if they want another defensive player because they're loaded with picks. Uh, where do you guys see him going as, as the highest? I want to ask your opinion, obviously, as a Titans fan, Ryan. Do you think 18 might be a good fit for him if they feel like Dick LeBeau can really develop him? I mean, the talent's obviously there. Um, I could see him going pretty high in the draft, to be honest. He just There's so much talent there. There's a lot you could do with him, but he has to be the right fit, uh, you know, to to be able to, to fit into your, your defense. I think you would have to, like you said earlier, a team that's got either really good linebackers that he can work into or a really good defensive back set. It's got to be a team that, um, either likes to utilize or do you think will utilize a hybrid safety? To me, I think that pick that Arizona has. And I know it's not a huge need for them, but you've, you've had a lot of injury history in that defensive back. And what is a really good – people forget because they're coming off of a really bad year, but it is a really good secondary. Bringing a guy like Peppers into there, you could have him under a bunch of these guys that are talented, you know, work his way up, really figure out where he fits. And then with a, you know, secondary that good, you have, you don't have to worry about, you know, throwing him to the dogs or, or getting him out there before he's ready. Um, I believe Arizona is what? They pick at 13? 13, 14, somewhere in there. Somewhere, somewhere in there. But somewhere in there. I could see him possibly going that high, but even that, I mean, that's a stretch to me now. I think you're going to see him towards the, the end of the first round, early second, just because he is, you just don't know really what you're going to do with him. What hurts him so much this year is that there's so many other good defensive secondary players available. Right. Uh, this is, you know, as we've been saying, one of the deepest defensive drafts in years and years. So to come out as a tweener project kind of guy, Drafting him high whenever there's a, a proven player who can play the position right now today, it just it it's going to be hard for him to get somebody to buy in on that. I agree. I think um, probably top of the second is where I could see him. I could see him going somewhere in the twenties. I think maybe at at um, his highest peak. But for someone like us, I think he could fit in in well on our defense. It's almost a shame that New England doesn't have that first-round pick because he, he would fit in well there, too. I think if any team that, that drafts him knows what to do with him, you know, I do think he'll have a good career. He's obviously not, you know, your typical linebacker or typical safety, but I think in today's NFL, somebody's going to find a place for him. And if, you know, if we did have a second-round pick, I think that, you know, I wouldn't mind taking a gamble on him, but for that number 18, I think that's just too high. 
So we go slide into the second round. Do, could you guys see maybe even going to the Browns at the top of the second round? Because if they get Miles Garrett to start off the first, and Peppers to start off the second, that's, you know, obviously Garrett's counted as the top prospect in the draft. But if you can get Peppers there to start off the second round, you're building a defensive pass rush and possibly, you know, trying to build for a good, strong future with two uh, highly touted prospects. Anything's yeah. possible with the Browns. Ryan might go in the second round. Fair enough. Fair enough. Some great points there. Uh, one thing I want to bring up is you can always use playmakers. I mean, look at Devin Hester. Everywhere that he played on the field in his time, there you can always, always there's going to be places in the NFL for playmakers, uh, and he's definitely one of them. But let's move on to Jake Butt here, a tight end. And this is a guy that's been one of the bigger stories of this offseason so far. Um, unfortunately, not a good thing for him. You know, his, his talent's undeniable. He's one of the best tight ends in this draft but then obviously his draft stock fell off pretty sharply after he tore his ACL in the Citrus Bowl and what ended up being a loss to Florida State Uh, how serious is this injury looking right now for you Pete and do you think it's going to end up affecting his ability to play long term well I think it's serious right now because you look at it he got hurt in the bowl game which is you know played you know obviously late in the call you know most bowl games are played end of December, early January. So that's obviously never a good thing to have torn ACL that late in the season because he missed the combine, which – and I know that the gentleman that was here on your show uh, talking about the volunteers talked about how the, the combine, if you can show athletic ability, it uh, it obviously helps you in the long run because if people think – you know, you, you look at a guy like him, he's not that athletic, right? So I think a torn ACL is going to hinder his ability in the long run probably in the NFL if he gets hurt again. So I think it, it definitely takes uh, – I think it does cause some concern for me uh, as a Michigan fan. But also if I was a GM of a team looking at him before his injury, I'd, I'd be a little higher on him. But now with an injury like this of a player who's not super athletic, you kind of got to think to yourself, okay, is he really worth the risk of kicking high in the draft? But now I think obviously being hurt that late in the year, it's going to cause some concern for some teams because he does have some history of injury. Uh, and obviously the weaknesses that they talked about in the scouting report was limited catch, limited catch radius, uh, gravity is a pass blocker, and takes questionable angles up at to the second level. So now with an injury with some of these negative things about him coming into the draft, it's going to hurt his draft stock. And I think, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about it here in a moment or two about where he's going to land in the draft, but I think it's going to affect where he's going to be drafted as a pair as compared to where he would have been drafted originally before his injury. Yeah, I liked him a lot before he got hurt, and I still do. Uh, the, the Titans player he reminds me of is Craig Stevens. Uh, he's not quite as physical of a uh, run blocker, uh, but he's he's got some work to do as a pass blocker. But he, he, he's kind of a Craig Stevens-level tight end. He, he's a sneaky good when you compare him to somebody like Delaney Walker, but he's still a really good, can-do-it-all player. And he was kind of the guy I was targeting before uh, he got injured. And you know, as far back as he might fall, he's a guy you look at because we still have Delaney Walker for at least another couple of years. So he doesn't have to be fully recovered and at full speed right away for us. Yeah, well, Jake Butt was to go to Tennessee. And, and the thing is, I'm moving on now. Uh, he's probably a third-round guy, right? And I know that you do have Delaney Walker down there. But what I think a guy like Jake Buck can do for Tennessee is open up the middle of the field because it talks about bottom line is that, or it talks about the strengths and bottom line of his, of his scouting report is that he's a guy that could probably make a living in the middle of the field. 
Um, it says right here in bottom line at the end, it says, in line tight end with strong actual hands and the toughest to make a living in the middle of the field as a chain-moving safety blanket. A guy like Marcus Mariota could use another weapon across the middle of the field. And if that's what he's going to do in the NFL, why not bring him in? Because his NFL comparison is Zach Miller, a guy that's not great, but he can help you move the chains. And it's also going to help him run blocking because his hands love to run. And with the young Derrick Henry coming up with Marcus Mariota, why not get a guy that can block and can catch it over the middle of the field and improve your offense? And I think that he makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, going to a team like the Titans at the top of the third round, which is right where I think he's going to go. I agree. I think that would be a great pickup. The only thing with, with this draft class this year, I think the tight end is one of the most uh, deep positions. And I think that we may be tempted before the third round to take a tight end. It may be even in the first round. But I definitely think if he were to fall in the third round, that that's great value. Uh, Pete, a lot of people are comparing him to Jason Witten. And you said it, you know, safety blanket over the middle. He's strong. He's dependable. Uh, you know, not a guy that's going to torch you down the sideline, but he's a guy that's going to pick up first downs every time you need him. Do you feel like that's a good fit, a good comparison for him? I think it's a, a somewhat of a good comparison, but NFL compared to the website comparison with Zach Miller, which is more what I agree along the lines of, because Zach Miller's slower than Jason Witten, and he's a guy that can kind of surprise you sometimes. That's where I look more of as Jake, but I think Jason Witten is just a step above what Jake Buck would be a, a comparison. Now, if Jake Buck comes out of the draft, let's say, and plays really well this year, then, yeah, I can make more of a comparison to him. But one thing I did like that he brought up was he's not going to torch you down the sidelines, but gets open in the middle. So I think he's more of a Zach Miller, but he has a little bit of a Jason Garrett comparison there, or sorry, Jason Wynn comparison, where he comes across the middle and can do a few things. But Zach Miller's been more of a blocking tight end in his career, and I think that's sort of what, Jake Butt will be when he comes to the NFL blocking tight end, catches a pass across the middle occasionally, you know, can catch a few touchdowns throughout the season, and it's just more of a consistent blocker and and sort of security blanket, third down uh, catch machine. Are you talking about Zach Miller's Seattle Seahawks, Zach Miller, or Chicago Bears, Zach Miller? <laughs> well, so Chicago Zach, Bears, Zach Miller. Yeah, and that's, that's what I thought of when you said that, because that guy honestly came out of nowhere – and I've watched him play a few times, and he has impressed me every time I've seen him play. Although, and what they call that throwing on the football? Yeah, yeah. On top of that, but he he always has an injury bug. But other when he's on the field, that guy is impressive. And he, yeah, that's exactly the comparison we don't want to be making because I had the same thought, Matt. You know, he reminds me of the Chicago Bears, Zach Miller. But at the same time, Miller's always hurt, and so I don't want Butt to be that guy. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> you definitely don't want that happening. But I. Yeah, I like the Zach Miller comparison, the Chicago Zach Miller. I think his career sort of opened up there where even though he had Jay Cutler throwing on the football, he still put up pretty good numbers. So that's – I still think he's bottom of the second round, top third round talent. Had he not got hurt, I could see him middle of the second round, maybe even low first round to a team like the Patriots or the Saints and not a Patriots aren't picking there. But I, I'm concerned about his injuries, and, and that's got to be concerning moving forward because you don't want to end up a top 50 pick on somebody that might not be able to play more than five years in the NFL if he keeps getting injured. You know, that that's not what you want to do for a team. But a team like the Titans can take in a, take a risk on them just to run block and catch passes occasionally when he first comes into the league. Even the Browns could use him. I think the Browns might take him there at the top of the third round, too. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen come this draft with him, <clears throat> for sure. 
And and as a New England fan, you know all about talented tight ends that can't stay healthy, man. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, either that they go to prison, you know, that's who hopefully they'll go to jail. <laughs> uh, Jake Butt seems like a good character, guys, so hopefully you don't have to worry about murder charges yes, with him. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, Robinson did come out and say he's not looking for choir boys. <laughs> there you go. He's looking uh, for people with some edge to him, so maybe a little Hernandez action. <laughs> uh, let's move on here uh, to uh, talking about a little bit ago, Pete Jordan Lewis, the cornerback. Uh, this is a guy that I mean, these, I, you see him all over the place ranked. This is obviously a very good draft at the corner position, very deep at corner, and and I've seen him ranked as high as you know fourth, fifth best corner, and like as low as like eleven, twelve. Um. You know, and even even further down than that, where do you think he fits in this cornerback class? Where would you rank him? Well, I think he's probably uh, top ten to fifteen corners. You know, again, this is a, but as far as defensive backs go, you know that it's kind of more like top twenty because there's so many talented defensive backs. Uh, his NFL comparison is Adam Pacman Jones, which I'm sure you know as a West Virginia fan. Uh, definitely one of the most intriguing players in NFL history. Uh, one of the better corners when he was staying out of trouble. So <laughs> I, I think that's a good comparison when you talk about just what he can do with 5'10", 188. He's a guy that can, you know, he, he contributed as a as a true freshman in 2012. Uh, he, can, he contributed as a true freshman, or as a freshman rather. You know, he, he looks pretty good. Um, he was a 13-game starter as a junior. And I think he's developed pretty well over time at Michigan. Uh, but, I, again, because of just – when you look at his weaknesses, it says, you know, his frame isn't great. He's limited in coverage options due to matchups concerns against elite NFL size, which is why I put him sort of top, you know, 15 defense uh, – top 15 to 10 cornerbacks, top 20 defensive backs. There's our guys better than him. But his strengths are pretty good with it. He only allowed seven catches in 2016, and his completion percentage against him was 23.3, which is his saving grace. Uh, so I think you kind of look at him from that perspective. So I think he's a top talent. I don't think he's going to go in round one. If he does, it'll probably be more towards the bottom of the first round. But I can't really see him going higher than 20, possibly, in the first round. Uh, if we're talking about where he ranks him up defensive backs because maybe somebody's going to look at him and jump on him earlier in the draft than expected. Yeah, unfortunately, he was just recently in the news with a um, domestic violence charge. Does his character concern you at all? Would you take a chance on him in the draft? Um, I, and you can ask anyone that I know about this, if I hear about anyone being involved in domestic violence, I would not want to touch him at the draft or even after the draft. And, I, and that's why I said I think the highest he could go is somewhere in the middle of the first round. But when you talk about his character concern, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's important that we talk about these issues, is that I think he's going to fall probably to the third or fourth round now because of the domestic violence, domestic violence issue. Because if I'm a GM, and let's say, let's just, I'm going to play the GM that is going to want to take a risk on somebody like this later in the draft. Yes, if I'm thinking that way, he's probably a second or third round pick. Second at most, third is probably about where he might go or fourth. But I'm, that domestic violence charge, it, it worries me because when I look at some of the domestic violence, that shows to me that you have some sort of, that you have a uh, 
I'm trying to think of how to word this right away. It's a red flag because it means that you're not going to be thinking all the time. And am I going to want a guy on my team that's been accused of domestic violence, putting my hands on a woman or putting two of his hands on a woman? No, not really. So his character concern to me is a huge red flag, and I think that's going to make him fall in the draft, possibly even to the third day. I could really see that happening. Speaking of his character, you know, he's he does have the, the huge red flag with the domestic uh, violence charge you were just talking about, but also a guy that's been very praised for his competitiveness at, at every stage of his football career. One of his high school coaches said it was the most competitive kid he's ever been around, uh, and he's been coaching for like 30 years or something, I believe. Like, uh, kid's very hard-nosed and uh, a worker for, is what every coach he's ever had has said. Do you think that coaches and GMs, you know, when they look at a guy that's got a character issue like this, they look at, you know, what's he like in practice, what's he like on the field, and and how much do you think that weighs into, like, am I going to take a risk on this guy, you know, if he's got this red flag, if he is more of a worker and, not, you know, doesn't take plays off and, you know, stuff like that? Well, it's because of his competitive nature, I think that's what kind of saves him from possibly falling to day three. I think that's why I'm, I'm not really sure where he's going to go. He's probably more of a second to fourth round pick. But because of his competitive nature, that could save him and possibly push him back up to the second round if teams are willing to overlook the domestic violence issue. But why I think he's going to fall because of that issue is we've seen Ray Rice and Greg Hardy in the news of domestic violence. And the way that people had just gone after the teams, especially that was especially the way people went after Dallas and they kept them despite the photos surfacing of the woman he had assaulted. So I think teams might be a little bit more and they might be worried about taking him because of the reputation that the team could have if they pick a guy such as him to come to their team after all these domestic violence issues that we've seen in the NFL affecting teams. Um and, and how fans in the NFL look at them from a distance and up close. Yeah, I mean, it only takes one team to take a chance, and we're going to see firsthand in the first round, I believe, this year when Joe Mixon gets drafted. Um, there's probably, you know, more than than eighty five, ninety percent of the league that wants nothing to do with him. But I bet you there's that one that one GM that's willing to look past, you know, these these character issues. And sadly, that's really all it takes is one team. I agree. And, you know, getting away from his character a little bit and back to his, his uh, style of play, he's a physical corner. You know, he's been known for the press at his time in Michigan. Uh, where he played really his best football was coming out of the press, uh, but not very big. And that concerns you with the guy that, that plays his best football in that physical press. Is he's not, um, you know, he's a smaller guy, like you said, 5'10", 188 pounds. And then in the combine ran a very underwhelming, uh, four five four forty, I believe it was. Do you think that forty time is really accurate for him? Because I watching his tape, it felt like to me at least that that was, uh, you know, a bad run, not an accurate portrayal. And how much do you think he's going to have to change his style in the NFL? And that obviously that would be something that worries you because he is a smaller guy and not going to be able to play the press against big wide receivers if you if you can't line up against them. Well, I think his 40 time was not really good indication of how quick of a corner he can be. Uh, I, I think sometimes the 40 players either run faster or slower than they than they usually do, and it can kind of cause an issue. Uh, but to answer your question about 
where how he could do in the NFL. I wouldn't be shocked to see a team take a chance on him putting him in the slot against, you know, smaller, quicker receivers where he can jam them up at the line and kind of shove them off the route a little bit because it's going to cause issues for them trying to get open down the middle or, you know, coming on a sling, going, trying to get down the sideline. If he can press them at the line of scrimmage and be really physical, I think he can make a living off playing in the slot and occasionally playing wide receiver two and rotating the wide receiver one just to kind of rough him up a little bit at the line of scrimmage. And one team I thought about when I, when I was looking at his uh, scouting report is possibly Seattle might take a chance on him because he's physical on another team at Dallas later on in the draft where they're, they're going to want a physical guy somewhere on the team. But Seattle makes the most sense because they like physical corners. Even though he's undersized, I'm sure Pete Carroll can work him into his defense. All right, we're going to move on from him on to another defensive end uh, that's coming out of this school, Chris Wormley, who's a guy that's not getting as highly talented, uh, but is an impressive football player. He's third team all Big Ten the last year. He uh, he had great uh, athleticism. He's a guy that has been known to be uh, a leader in the locker room. Uh, you know, a lot of praise on this guy's character. And his production was also, you know, pretty solid stuff. 14 tackles for a loss, six and a half sacks. Uh, a guy like Wormley, where do you think he ends up going? We'll start off there. Where do you think he ends up going in this draft? Well, I, I was kind of, I, I did some research on Homer coming online because, like you said, he's not really getting a lot of attention. But at 6'5", 298 pounds, with six sacks his last year in Michigan, I think teams are going to look at him, and he's probably a mid-round pick is what I'd say. I think that he's possibly could go somewhere in the second or third round. Now, he might be like a middle second to mid-third round pick, depending on how many defensive ends get picked in the first round. The teams are going to wait to pick him again because a lot went off the board and they're going to start drafting elsewhere. I could see him slipping possibly, and I know we talk about the times a lot on the show, but he's another player that could possibly fall to the Titans somewhere in the third round at some point because if teams pass on him, he might fall there. And that's, I, I think he's a mid-round pick, which I think is a fair assessment because, uh, you know, obviously when you look at his – and I was looking at his weaknesses, it says not very twitchy, finally out of stance. Uh, remains engaged with blockers longer than desired at times. But then you look at his positives, um, able to generate bull rush with speed to power, drive, and attack. So I think that's where he kind of falls into a mid-round pick is because his weaknesses and strengths almost kind of fall along the same line. So a team might want to wait till the bottom of the second, top of the third, and say, okay, let's take this guy and let's see what we can do to develop and roll with him over time. Yeah, he strikes me as more of an early backup player who may work himself up into a starter job. But his ceiling, you know, kind of like you said, he's more of a project. Um, the comparison I see on him is, you know, James Crick. So a guy that can start but probably a guy you're looking to replace every year or so. Uh, I, I like him as a player, but it's it's that whole he's not sudden enough off the line. He's not explosive and disruptive. So I, I'm not sure where he ends up getting drafted because of that. Yeah, well, I think it's a fair system to possibly make him to a backup at least to start. And that's why if a team takes a shot, chance him in the third round, maybe the top of the third round, like maybe let's say Tennessee's wanted to improve the pass rush or even – they had a great run defense last year, but if they were trying to build for the future, they can bring him in and ask him, you know, say, we're going to put you on special teams, have you sort of play a backup role, and then develop you down the road. A team like the Browns is another team I could see at the top of if they're taking him. 
not for now, but maybe for later, maybe two years down the road, three years down the road, instead of into your starting lineup and allow them to kind of the situation of football at the time, uh, for right now at least. After Wormley, you have uh, – there's still a lot of talent left, but just bagging two guys into one group, these wide receivers – and uh, Amara, I know I'm going to saw their names. Just <laughs> sorry in advance. Amara uh, Darbo and uh, Ju Session, uh, two guys that I know that you said are not getting their fair shake. You think they're getting a little overlooked, which is intriguing because Tennessee's obviously in the market to find some help at wide receiver. Um, so, so why do you feel like these guys are getting overlooked a little bit, and and what, do you, where do you think they'll end up going? Do you think there'll be steals where they go? Well, I think when you look at Amar Dubara, he ran a four four five forty, which isn't great for. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. Uh, his senior year, he went fifty seven catches, eight hundred and sixty two yards, and seven touchdowns, but. I think why he might be being overlooked is because when you think about Michigan, you think about a team that runs a football place defense, which is a lot of what Harbaugh likes to do. And I think that Jordan Spieth's inconsistency at quarterback kind of hurts these receivers. And, you know, I mean, I think Shasan is probably going to be a guy that's going to struggle to really get snaps early in his career because he's sort of been up and down at Michigan. Again, some of it has to do with the quarterback, but when you look at a guy like, Lamar, he's more of a guy that I would take possibly in the third or fourth round. His NFL comparison is Muhammad Sanu, and I think that's fair. Um, he, his weaknesses, and this does not have to do with Muhammad Sanu, but his weaknesses, build up running from slow to eat a corner cushion. Uh, play speed appears to be average, misses suddenness and twitch, but his strengths are good NFL size with above average arm length. And experience in Michigan's pro-style passing attack, which is why I think he's going to be a decent receiver in the NFL. Uh, forward working two way releases from slot. So he's a guy that you could probably bring in the slot. He's six foot two, two hundred and fourteen pounds. Uh and you and I want to talk about his overview here. His family story is very different from a lot of other prospects because they left Sierra Leone uh, to avoid war when he was very young, coming to America to live in Iowa. Uh he became a citizen in two thousand fifteen. So this guy has been through some stuff in his life. So I think if he's come from a war-torn country, I'm, I'm not sure what happened with his family when they came here. I'm sure they probably, you know, a lot of families that immigrate to America, they have to kind of, you know, work their way up, and they, they might have the struggle. So he's a guy that if I'm a coach, I'm looking at his background story and how he produced his last year in Michigan. I'm going to say, you know, that's the kid I want because – He's probably been through some trials and tribulations, and if any anything in life, even a regular disc job, you're going to have your trials and tribulations, right? So why not take a chance on a guy like him? Uh, and I, you know what, Ryan, you got a great point. Maybe he could go to Tennessee in the fourth round. Uh, you know, it, he's probably going to be. They have him possibly going um, as being someone taking in rounds two or three. And I know I talked a lot about Tennessee in the third round, but if he falls to the third round and they're looking at a wide receiver. Take him and see what you can do with him. And why not? You know, it's worth taking a third-round pick on him. Uh, maybe a team takes him at the bottom of the second. But I think, I think a lot of player, a lot of people wait for the third round on him. As far as it was just on, I think he may be a guy that, dare I say, might fall to an undrafted status because I'm just not, I'm just not really sold on him coming out of the draft. I, I think he, it's unfair because of the quarterback play, but he's not as good as Amara Deborah. 
Yeah, Deboro or Darbo, mm-hmm. however his name is, he, he's a guy that I can see the Titans actually taking because he runs good route. He's got strong hands. He makes catches. He, he's a sharp kind of player without the production, unfortunately. Uh, of the two, he's the only guy I see really getting drafted. And, you know, like I said, Dar- Darbo, it could happen in the fourth round. It could happen later. Um, it just it really depends on what people want when they're looking at them. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I, like, I like that you talked about Tennessee, too, because Tennessee does have a history of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but of having wide receivers with good, strong hands that are that, that can make smart plays in the NFL. They might not be great wide receivers, but they're great at what they do because Tennessee likes guys like that. And with a young quarterback like Mariota going into his third year, why not get a young receiver that can do those things for a quarterback and they can develop chemistry and then they can worry about maybe getting a uh, a really good receiver in the first round and pairing him with Darba and coming out of the third round. And I think that'd be a really good rookie combination that you can develop over time if they decide to go with receiver round one too. And they can build their offense at the draft as well as as well as defense, which is I think something. And and I just want to give you my opinion really quick here, but I think Tennessee is going to go at wide receivers and defensive backs in this draft with two biggest needs. And just my opinion. And this, this young receiver, Darbach, can be one of those building blocks of the future and open up that passing attack that ranked in the 20s last year in the NFL. Yeah, and one of the things that's going to definitely get you know people's attention is he's a decent run blocker. Uh, that, that's a huge thing. When, when you're not that top-end receiver, you're not that number one or number two guy, if you're willing to go out there and run block, that means you don't have to come off the field for running plays. And so all of a sudden you can have a slot guy out there and you can still run the ball because he's going to get in people's way and block. And so that that's something that he seems to understand will improve his value. Uh, he, he's not the most you know sudden, fast twitch receiver, but he's got good speed, obviously. I mean, he did run a 4 4 And 4 4 isn't blazing, but it, it's pretty good. So if you're 6'2", you've got that kind of speed, you're fairly sure-handed and you're willing to run block, you're going to have a spot in the NFL. You may never be the starter, but you're always going to have a role on a team. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think he, even if he doesn't work out, let's say Tennessee he'll I'm sure a team will, will use him as kind of like a situational football player where they spread it out and they're going to ask him to go use his hands across the middle, maybe down the sideline, and just throw it up and see if he can bring it in with his hands. You, know, it's just, you just never know with how smooth because there are so many wide receivers in college. Sometimes it's the ones you don't expect to be good, and they're turning out to be pretty damn good. So you never, with him, you just don't know what you're going to get. But I think he'll be a solid NFL player for probably 10 years, a guy that might bounce around but will perform well on the teams because they'll put him in the situation for him to succeed with his skill set. And, Pete, the list uh, of guys coming out of Michigan this year is vast, very long, so we're not going to have time to get to all of it. But who are some other guys? that we haven't mentioned yet, um, you know, that teams need to be keeping their eye out for come draft time? Well, the last thing I want to talk about was uh, Cheney Struggling. Uh, uh, I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name. Uh, the reason why is because I, he – so he's listed at 6'188 pounds, and I just want to talk about his bottom line here. It says, linear press corner who, take, who took advantage of new, uh, newly found playing time and produced results. While he has an NFL length, his long speed is problematic and struggles to maintain coverage against quick receivers who work inside the numbers. Their defense will refer his physical traits and ball skills, but he will have a limited scheme fit. 
Now, his strengths are he is a long frame and understands how to use it. Drapes himself over wide receivers off the line of scrimmage, excels when playing with inside leverage, can smother receivers against the sideline, and is able to challenge sight lines for quarterbacks on comeback routes. Weaknesses and needs more for body strength. Plug is change of direction due to marginal short quickness. Struggles. Uh, he also says here that he gets handsy down, a little handsy down the field to make up for speed difference. Now, the reason why I bring him up is because I think when I think about a physical corner, I think about Seattle as a team I could see him going to. And I'll give you an example of why. Because late in the game last year when Seattle was playing Atlanta, Richard Sherman got really physical with Julio Jones, and they didn't call pass interference. In my, from my experience of watching Seattle over the years, they had like really physical corners that are going to battle you down the field and kind of test the rule book. And another team I thought of, too, is the Denver Broncos. They have a lot of really physical players on their defense. If they can bring him into Denver or Seattle and let him sit for two years, maybe even a year, uh, you know, play sparingly and develop him through the preseason, through, your, uh, through training camps and OTAs, he's a guy that I can really see fitting on a team that likes to play physical defense and being a, a really good role player probably his third year in the NFL. And he'll probably be a late-round pick, probably six or seven, because of the issues that he has, maybe highest fifth. But I see him being a sixth or seventh-round pick. And I can even see maybe New England going after him in the late round, because if they'll want the guy that's physical, you, you could even maybe use him on special teams uh, to kind of like shove blockers off when you're trying to go down with the opposing team's punt returner. They're trying to shove people around and get, and get down the field quicker to kind of uh, kind of contain the punt returner. And that, that's another way I think he could be utilized possibly in the NFL. So I think he's going to find a home. And he's telling me I'm excited to see where he's going to go because unlike Lewis, there doesn't seem to be any character issues with this guy coming out of the draft. One last question to wrap it up, Pete. Out of all these guys, if you had to take one for the Tennessee Titans based off of their value, where, where you think they're going to get drafted, do you think it's a smart pick for the Titans to take? Well, I think, believe it or not, I'm going to take Jake Butt probably in the third round. Uh, I, I know you guys have a great tight end already, but why not get somebody they can help open the middle field and run block? The Titans like to run block. The guy that can go over the middle of the field. And I think if you can get a guy like him and over time to replace Delaney Walker down the road, or at least try to be, you know, a really good tight end that can that can do the running, the run blocking, and the catching, and let him develop his pass catching skill. I think at the third round, top of the third round, middle of the third round, that's a really good value for a guy like Jake Butt, who probably would be a high second round, a low first round pick, had an after for his injury, because some teams like tight ends like him that early in the draft. All right, Pete. It was great having you on. You give us a lot of great insight to this Michigan team uh, and the you know the prospects they have coming out. Um, so thanks for coming on. You had some great answers there. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Really thankful for the opportunity to be on your show. I, I love what you guys do, and it's, it was nice to be on. And uh, hopefully, I can come back and talk some more football. Really a pleasure. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're hey, welcome. Man, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, that was Peter DiPaolo that joined us there. Uh, big thanks to him for coming on. Really great insight into this uh, Michigan team that has a lot of talent coming out this year. Um, that's about all we have for the show. As always, I'm going to remind you to check out hang10.com for the most unique and best Titans apparel that you can find. Uh, I wear their stuff like every week right now. I'm wearing my uh, Mario Godes shirt. Um, it's been like my go-to, kind of my thing. 
gets me prepared for the show. Uh, their stuff is really great, though. So check it out. Hangtn.com. Thanks to Matt and Glenn for being on. Another big thanks to our guest, uh, Peter Dipala, for jumping on with us. And as always, guys, tighten up. Thanks for listening to the Two Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook. <laughs>